this is the last message in our series on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, if you're unfamiliar, it is the introduction to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And his Sermon on the Mount is his longest recording, recorded teaching in Scripture. And his introduction, he, he talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, uh, blessed are the merciful. And uh, today we get to the end of that introduction that he gives. And it's very interesting some of the things he says there because as he said so far, uh, it has been things like the pure in heart and the peacemakers. And, and now we're going to talk about today, the last thing he says in that introduction, he talks about persecution. Um, and we're going to talk about how to find victory when you feel defeated. There was this one um, girl growing up many, many years ago. All she ever wanted was to be a TV uh, anchor person. She wanted to be a TV reporter for, for a number of years and then go on to uh, anchor the news. And she finally got a job um, in her, I think she's 18 or 19 years old, at a news station working her way up to be a TV reporter. She got to go out then and, and, and report the news, and she was on camera, and she came back in for her assessment, and she's sitting in front of her boss, and she gets fired. And he looks right her, at her in the face and says, I'm firing you because you are unfit for TV, which is very encouraging. <laughs> and uh, she, she stands up, tears coming to her eyes, leaves the office, and begins to question whether this thing she's wanted her entire life is really what she's going to do now. Because she didn't know where to go from here. Well, she wallowed in that for a few days, uh, as undoubtedly you would. But somewhere deep inside her, she resolved to not give up. And that even though in the moment she felt like she was going to shrivel up and die, she just said, I need to take one more step. I need to go back. I need to try Again, maybe that was the wrong place, the wrong fit. And so she got a job in another news station, went on to become a very successful reporter, anchored the news, one of the youngest anchors in the country, and then got her own TV show. And now she's one of the wealthiest women in the world, Oprah Winfrey. Can you imagine somebody sitting across from Oprah saying, you're unfit for TV? Well, that guy's eating his words now. <laughs> Talk about... Drawing victory when you feel defeated. And that's what we're going to look at here in Matthew chapter 5, where we're going to start in verse 10. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, how to find victory when you feel defeated. So Jesus, wrapping up his introduction, his be the Beatitudes, his introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's an interesting statement. Righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, righteousness, being persecuted for righteousness. When somebody says that person is righteous, what normally comes to mind, for all of us, me included, is we think of somebody who's living a good life, somebody who's doing good stuff, somebody who's doing more good than bad. But... Righteousness, as far as the biblical word, is not simply doing the right thing or even really just doing good things. A righteous life is one that is right before God through a belief in Jesus. Righteousness, the way it's used, not only in the, in the 
language of Jesus here in the book of Matthew, but also all throughout Paul's writings, uh, righteousness is used to talk about the saving decision of the believer, that a person who is righteous is one who believes in Jesus. So a righteous person is not necessarily just a good person. A righteous person is a believing person, according to the original word in the original language. It's somebody who believes in Jesus. So when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, someone who believes in Jesus. I mean, Paul said in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, quoting from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 15, that uh, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness because he believed. Not because he did good stuff. It was counted to him as righteousness, the fact that he was a believer. Later on in that same chapter, Paul writes, Romans chapter 4, verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, remember what did Jesus say in uh, Matthew 5, 10, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Here in Romans 4, 13, they will be heir of the world that did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So righteousness comes because of faith, not because you do good. Righteousness comes because you believe in Jesus. You have faith in Jesus. So a righteous person is a believing person. And so back to Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for the sake of belief, for the sake of belief. For the sake of means because of. So blessed are those who are persecuted because they believe. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they believe. So the persecution Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5.10 uh, is because of someone's affiliation with Jesus. Because they're associated with Jesus, they experience a level of persecution. Now, when you proclaim a faith in Jesus, there's going to be some who are not the biggest fan of that decision. They may say it outwardly, they may still act like it, they may even rejoice outwardly. But they may have a problem with, with life change that you have to make then because of that fact proclaiming to follow Jesus. And, and we will experience, some of us uh, will experience to some degree kind, different kinds of pressure and animosity, hostility from some, simply because we are with Jesus. But as that verse that Jesus said in Matthew 5.10, the kingdom is waiting. The kingdom is on the other side of the persecution but what does that persecution look like? I mean, again, when you say the word persecution, certain images come to mind, especially in our American context. Certain images come to mind, but the original word, the word Jesus uses in the original language, it means to hunt, pursue, or harass. To hunt, or pursue, or harass. So we can experience that kind of harassment because we're associated we're affiliated with Jesus and following after Jesus can come in many different forms in many different shapes and that persecution will be difficult it may be very very hard but something we must never forget is Psalm 30 verse 5 weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes in the morning or as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So though we may feel harassed, we may feel hunted, we may feel pursued, and it may be extremely difficult in the moment, we've got to remember that this is not the end. 
that the struggle itself is not the end. The struggle, the difficulty, the, uh, the persecution, the pain has an expiration date. And then at that, mo- at that point, when it does expire, when it is no longer experienced, we will experience the kingdom, the perfect kingdom. Because eternity is perfect. Heaven is perfect. We must always remember that perfection is beyond the pain. It may not feel perfect now. Well, it's not supposed to. This world is broken and sinful. But perfection is beyond the pain. Is beyond it. Is coming. That's why theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will inherit the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven that's spoken of in the book of Revelation when the new heaven and earth come down and we experience eternity. That's what he's talking about here. That kind of inheritance. Perfection is beyond the pain. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for, because they believe in Jesus. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes into a little bit more detail in, ver- in the next couple of verses. Uh, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you. Does anybody use the word revile in everyday conversation? Just wondering. Maybe you're more educated than I am and you're, you're high and lofty on the intellectual scale. I don't use revile a lot. Uh, <laughs> if I don't think I've ever said that word except maybe reading this verse. It is blessed are those, or blessed are those, blessed are you when others revile you. Now the word revile, that means to unfairly speak about a person as though they don't have any worth. It's to speak about somebody as though they are considered worthless. None of y'all have ever done that. Has anybody ever spoken about you that way? Spoken to you that way with the tone and intonation as though you're worthless or don't have much worth. Speaking down to you in a certain tone. So Jesus says, blessed are... Now remember, up until this point, throughout this, the Beatitudes, this introduction, he's been saying, blessed are those who experience this, who are like this. He's talking about the life of the disciple. But here in verse 11, he switches and he says, blessed are you when others revile you. When others speak about you as though you're worthless. So you're blessed when others do that. I mean, that wouldn't be the first thing that pops into my mind when that happens. I'm not going to think, oh, I'm so blessed to have you say that to me. Mm, Thank you. You're amazing. Uh, I would be thinking other thoughts. (laughs) But he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. So again, harass you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Have you ever had somebody utter all kinds of evil against you falsely? And you think, man, that is, they, they, don't even, they, they don't even know what they're talking about. And they're saying this and this and this and this. And, and I just want to go back up there and say, man, you, you have no idea. Man, you, you don't even know where I've been, where I come. You don't even know what's up. But he says, blessed are you when that happens. But notice, though, it's those last three words. Not when people just do this randomly. He says, blessed are you when you're reviled, when you're persecuted, when people utter all kinds of false accusations and and evil against you. He says, on my account. Not just because you're out there doing whatever. But he says, blessed are you when people do it because of what he just said in the previous verse. Because you're associated with me. Because you're affiliated with me. Because you're a believer in me. Verse 12. He says, so... 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. When somebody says something to you that's not very nice, or as Jesus said, is all kinds of evil, is your first thought to rejoice in that moment? Praise Jesus. Hmm. You know, you're in the heat of a fight, and they're yelling and screaming at you this kind of thing and that kind of word and this other thing, and you're thinking, you know, praise Jesus because of you, like, for real. I'm going to go give an extra offering just because you're saying it. It just blesses my heart. He says, rejoice and be glad. Not because you're experiencing the difficulty, you're experiencing the pain. He says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven because of the company you're keeping. For so they persecuted, for so they harassed the prophets who were before you. So when that happens, when you're associated with Jesus and the persecution and harassment is coming because you're following after Jesus and you're, you're, you're affiliated with Jesus, you you're, find yourself in the company of guys like Samuel and Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel. Great men, Moses, people that were harassed because they were following the Lord. And so you find yourself in that company. He says, they persecuted, they harassed all these who came before you. So you need to rejoice and be glad, not because you're experiencing the pain, but the rejoicing and the gladness is coming because of what is coming, because of the kingdom that is coming, because of heaven that will be experienced. You know, reward that he's talking about, this kind of reward, great reward be in heaven, was meant to be eternal. I mean, just like punishment was meant to be eternal, reward, it's meant to be eternal. And so accordingly, our, our punishment and reward, because they're supposed to be eternal, they don't depend on our actions. Rather, they hinge entirely upon a belief in Jesus' death and resurrection. They hinge entirely upon Jesus' death and resurrection. Whether you believe in it or not, will determine whether you experience eternal punishment or eternal reward. You can say all day long, I've, I've done more good things than bad things, but that's not how God works. The way scripture lays it out, both in the Old Testament, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, all throughout the rest of scripture, all the way up until Revelation chapter 22, all of scripture is about believing in God's plan of salvation. And you believe in God's plan of salvation, Jesus coming and dying and raising from the dead. You gain eternal life and heaven. But if you reject it, you gain punishment. Hell is what comes. And so it's, we need to be looking toward Jesus, always looking toward what God has in place for us. Because for the believer, what is coming can't be compared to anything we've ever experienced. Paul writes that in Romans 8.18. He says, I consider that the, present, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So this is Paul. Now, I look at, at the life of Paul. Paul was a man who followed Jesus incredibly, but who also suffered incredibly and experienced incredible pain because he was following Jesus. He was whipped a bunch. He, he was stoned to death once. Uh, he experienced great 
uh, persecution in every city he went to. And he writes those words coming out of his pain, writing those words probably with scars on his arm being visible as those words are being written. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, all of them, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. What's coming is far better than what we have here. If you graded it on a scale, like a, a, a bad and good scale, and, and the badness of what we experience in this world, I mean, in, in the depths of the worst moment, not even a scale of 1 to 10, it's like a minus 8. and It's feeling so bad. And so what Paul's saying is that suffering and that pain and that difficulty is not worth comparing because even though it's like a minus 8 right now, what's coming is like a plus 10,000. Like, you don't even, it's not even close comparing the two. Obviously, it's more than that, but just to give you an illustration, I consider that what the pain is now, the suffering is now, is not even worth comparing. So no matter how bad it might get, for the believer, the bad is confined to this world. The bad is limited to this world. So going back to Jesus' words, we can rejoice now for what is to come because he is faithful. We can rejoice for what is to come because he is faithful. Because what is to come depends on his faithfulness and not my abilities. What is to come depends on what he can accomplish, what he has accomplished, and not what I can accomplish. So I can rejoice because what's coming is so great. But because I'm human, I need to be constantly reminded of the greatness of what is coming. And things get difficult and things get rough and say, God, I am so blessed. I know that this, that, and the, the enemy's whispering in my ear, and he's saying this thing, and try, try to interpret what that person means and what this is going on, and, and uh, the anxiety levels that are rising because of this circumstance and this thing, and what this person texted and what this person posted, and God, God the, the, the country situation and the world situation and the war and what, what you know, this world leader said, and, and then we're all going to die in oblivion because a huge bomb is going to blow us all up. And even in the midst of that, as Jesus said, you can still rejoice and be glad. Not because of the situation. You can rejoice and be glad because God is still on his throne and what is coming is so great. So we can rejoice and be glad for what is to come because he is faithful. Even though the pain is hard, even though the persecution may be hard in the moment, we can still rejoice and be glad because this is not the end. But I want to point something out to you that the Lord showed me this week. Because I was really diving into that idea of persecution, this harassment because you're a believer. And we look at her, the persecution around the world, like in different countries around the world, countries where we have missionaries today. Um, and it's illegal to be a Christian. Follow the Jesus of the Bible. Some countries around the world say, yeah, you can have church and you can believe the Bible, but you can't believe this Bible. It has to be a Bible that the government issues that we've took parts out and we added other parts. So that's the only Bible you can follow. In other countries, this is straight outlaw. You cannot worship Jesus, and they're coming, and they're hunting you down, and, and you just can't. And so there are Christians right now, right now, other side of the world. It's the middle of the night. They're meeting in a house. They traveled for hours after the sun went down and were to meet in a house for a couple hours before they could travel home, still in the dark, so the police wouldn't see them. And they do that several times a week, all because they want to worship Jesus. That is intense persecution. Fear for your life, 
Somebody could bust into your house and find the Bible you have buried in the backyard because you don't want them to know you got one. Some of those house churches, they only have one Bible. So they tear it apart. And they give a different section to each member of that church so they can have a section of the Bible. And they take it home and they study it for a week and they bring it back and they trade because they only have one Bible to share, to share with the whole church. And they're hungry for so much. And you look at that kind of persecution and these, church, and, and these police that will bust into the church, the house churches, and they'll kill people right there and then they'll drag others off to prison. Men, women, children, everybody. And I was thinking about some of that and some of those stories and reading some of those stories and thinking, yeah, I don't know any kind of persecution like that. Like, when we come in here on Sunday morning, I'm not scared of the police busting in here and carting me off to jail. And we always say, well, maybe someday, you know, that's going to happen. Coming down the road. Well, what's coming down the road is going to come down the road. <laughs> we can't stop it. But it's not what we're experiencing today. But it's for real for Christians around the world. But what I want to show you, though, in reading this and talking to the Lord about it, is look back at verse 10. Tony, can you jump back up? I didn't put it down here. Jump back up to verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because they believe, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That word persecuted. Does it say there, blessed are those who are only persecuted physically for righteousness' sake? Could it mean that persecution doesn't have to singularly be physical? Have you ever been spiritually persecuted? Remember, persecution means to be harassed. The enemy harasses believers all the time. Spiritual persecution occurs constantly because the enemy wants to get us distracted from God's purpose. He wants to keep us from going where God would have us go, keep us from saying what God would have us say. He wants to keep us, keep our minds on, on, on things that don't matter eternally. So we miss his purpose for us. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they follow me. And don't you know every kind of spiritual harassment you have from the enemy is because you know Jesus. He comes after you because you know Jesus. And just when you think everything's going good, everything's just trucking along, that's right when he's going to hit you between the eyes with an arrow you never saw coming. Out of left field, you were looking over here and just hit you right here. Bah! I thought I was safe from over there. I did, dealt with that stuff years ago, and now it's coming again, and I can't stop thinking about it. And the anxiety levels are rising, and I'm just feeling sicker and sicker because of this thing, and it won't go away. And I thought it was over, and here it is again, and it just keeps coming. And Jesus says, you're blessed. That next verse, rejoice and be glad. But Jesus, Jesus, it's hard. Jesus, it, it, just, it, it won't stop. I can't get the enemy to let me go. And then Jesus reminds us of something, something that's already in Scripture. It's over in Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to go. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 979. Ephesians chapter 6, down in verse 12. Paul already told us this very thing. He wrote, for we do not wrestle. That word wrestle means fight, have conflict with, struggle with. We do not fight 
against flesh and blood. That's other people. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we do not fight against other people. He just straight up says it. Other people are not the enemy. You say, Pastor Josh, you have no idea. This person is the enemy. This is Satan incarnate. I think Jesus removed the thorn in my flesh, and I'm talking about that person. Remove them from this earth. You don't say that out loud because you're, you're a good Christian, but you're thinking it in your head. You're, if only this world would be so much better. If, if, we do not wrestle. We do not fight against other people is what he said because what Paul is saying is they're not the enemy. And then he gives four things there. He says against rulers, against authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All four of those things, he says, is, are just the same way of saying spiritual enemies. That is Satan and his angels, his demons. I mean, if you, flip, if you read uh, uh, Revelation chapter um, 12, it, talks, it gives a flashback to the beginning when, when Satan and his angels rebelled against uh, uh, the Lord. And there was a war in heaven, it says. And Satan and his angels were defeated and they were thrown down. And he says, we don't wrestle against other people. Other people need Jesus. We wrestle against the enemy. We fight against the enemy. The real enemy is Satan. He's the real enemy. He's the one leading people away from God. And so when we see other people, even people who are belligerent and even people who seem to be going the opposite direction of what God wants them to go and saying the opposite thing and actively working against the Lord, they're not the enemy. The enemy is manipulating them. They need Jesus just as much as I need Jesus. We all need Jesus, and that's the way we got to see people is they're not the enemy. They're just someone in need of Jesus. We shouldn't look down on other people because they've made different life choices than we have. They just need Jesus, just like I need Jesus. We're all one decision away from being in a bad, bad place. And so that decision always needs to be Jesus every time. So Paul's telling us, it's, your fight isn't against other people, so stop fighting other people. Stop it. A, <laughs> I'm going to show this one. I, I keep saying I'm going to show this in church. There's an old sketch with Bob Newhart where he plays a psychiatrist. And this girl comes in to uh, 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 seek him out. And he says, well, I'm, you just got to pay me $1 a minute. And then you can go, it's, you need to go in and watch this whole thing. It's, it's hilarious. And she comes in and she tries to lay out her whole thing. And he says, you just pay me $1 a minute. I promise you, you're not going to need pay me more than five bucks. And uh, she says, well, she goes into this whole long story. And uh, she says, I'm really, I'm, 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 I'm paranoid and, and had this gripping fear of being buried alive in a box. And she, I mean, it's this whole long thing. And he goes, okay, I want you to write this down. Two words. Just get out your pad, get your paper. Here it is. You ready? Stop it! Stop it! That'll be five dollars. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just want to scream. We all need somebody to scream it to us. Sometimes just stop it! Stop! And so when it comes to fighting other people, Paul is saying they're not the enemy. 
I've used the illustration before. It's a famous uh, story, and it, it, it's used in, a, in a, a depiction of this. But when they were writing the Declaration of Independence, and there was this great argument that would break out because everybody in the room would say that their issue was the most important issue. And there's one guy in the room said that, no, the most important issue is independence. All this other stuff doesn't matter yet. We just we got to be free first, and then we got to mess with all the other stuff. And they're screaming at each other, the guys on this side of the room, and the guys on this side of the room, and they're screaming, and they're screaming. And there's one guy stands up who knows that independence is the only thing that matters. And he says, they're not the enemy. And he says, yes, they are. The enemy's right there. And he points at the guys on the other side of the room. And that one guy says, no, the enemy is out there, not in here. Enemy's out there. We get distracted. and free. That's a strategy of the enemy to make us see each other as the enemy instead of himself. He's very subversive, and he's very good at it because he's been doing it for such a long time. And he's seen somebody like you before because he's been doing it so long. He knows what buttons to push. He knows how to, to, to manipulate things and whisper things in your ear to get you to miss it. But the enemy is out there. Not other people. Other, the spiritual enemy. Satan and his minions. They're the bad guys. Not other people. Other people are just people who need Jesus. And so we've got to see people that way. And so that's why Paul says, we don't fight other people. We fight the spiritual enemy. And then he, Paul does something that is powerful. That's how we're going to finish this message. I'm going to give these things to you. Paul tells us that the spiritual enemy, though it may feel like it, he is not unbeatable. And he gives us tools in order to find victory, even when we feel defeated. Look at Ephesians 6.13. He says, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. So he says, take up the whole armor, not just pieces of it, not just a little bit here and a little bit there. Take it all up so that you can be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, that's having done everything possible, using every element of the armor of God, being able to stand firm. I want you to notice, though, even though he says it, he says it a bunch in this chapter, stand firm. He doesn't say advance and take ground, because that's God's job. I mean, just like when, when Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church. You go out and tell people about Jesus, I will build this, I will do the building. So that's the idea here. Just stand firm on the word. Stand firm in the tools he's given us, and he will take the ground. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, when, when Satan is finally defeated, Jesus coming down on a white horse, who's the only one that fights the battle? Not the army that's behind him. The only one who fights is Jesus. He's the one who takes the ground. He's the one who advances. We just need to do what he tells us to do. Stand firm. And so he gives us his list of things of how to withstand all kinds of evil in the evil day, how to be prepared. Verse 14 and 15. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So you fasten the belt of truth. Now, a belt to a soldier, a belt was used to, to tuck up their robe in the belt so that their robe wouldn't get in the way when they're fighting. 
So they could retreat if they needed to retreat. So they could run. They could do quick movements with their feet. Because they had the robe, it would get tangled up and they would fall. So they would pick it up and they would tuck it in their belt because their belt was secure. And their belt, having been secured, made them ready to fight the battle. That's what truth does. Truth secures you. Truth makes you ready so you won't trip over something that's not true. But the thing about truth is it's not just a factual statement. When scripture uses the word truth, it's talking about the truth of the gospel. That's another thing we get confused on. We were ready to die on the hill of truth, but we misunderstand that truth is talking about the truth of the gospel. And we're really ready to die on the hill when somebody just makes some factual statement that's inaccurate. Well, that's not the gospel. So we don't need to cut off fellowship. We don't need to cut off somebody else's head just because they said something that, that may not you know, be 100% accurate. I mean, how many of us say things that are 100% accurate all of the time? None of you raised your hand. Otherwise, you would be inaccurate in that moment. He says, we have the truth of the gospel fastened around us, and we tuck ourselves into it so we're secure, so we're ready, so we're prepared. And then he says, we also have put on the breastplate of righteousness, that is the armor that covers the vital organs. The righteousness, remember, is salvation. It protects us from the attacks of the enemy. And then we have on our feet shoes that are the gospel of peace. You see, the gospel, gospel of truth, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, it provides peace in our lives. And so when there's a lack of peace, it may very, at least in my experience, and I struggle at t- great times with great anxiety, it's because my eyes aren't on Jesus. My eyes are on the other thing. My eyes are on the other thing and not on the gospel and not on Jesus and not on how he's blessed. And he says, you have on your feet the things that steady your steps, the things that keep you from slipping and sliding all over this earth is the gospel of peace that provides a steady step when you desperately need it. So we have the truth, we have righteousness, salvation, we have uh, uh, the, the, the peace on our feet. Look at the next verse, verse 16. In all circumstances, that's a key phrase, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. See, faith guards, faith protects, faith prevent strategic and unexpected attacks of the enemy. You see, he says, in all circumstances, you take up the shield of faith. You don't leave home without it. You've always got it with you because the enemy's attacks can come at any point, at any juncture, and you may never see it coming. But if your, your faith is held up and strong, that whatever the enemy shoots at you, whatever temptation he comes at you with, whatever he brings your way, maybe some of those uh, utterances from Matthew chapter 5 that are false, that are coming at you, your faith can extinguish them and they won't sink in and do damage because your faith is secure and powerful to stop any of it says you hold up your faith your faith is a shield that protects you in all but notice he says all circumstances all circumstances even when you feel tired even when you feel angry even when you feel hungry even when you're not feeling exactly faithful he says hold up that shield of faith i don't care how you feel in all circumstances you hold it up because the enemy's not stopping just because you're tired, just because you just want to sit and not do anything and veg out and binge and just let whatever comes up next on the, on the streaming service of your choice comes up, 
He's just not going to give you a break. He's going to keep coming. He's relentless. He's determined. But if we hold up our faith, his attacks won't take us down. His attacks won't stop us. I heard an interview not too long ago. It was a, a big-name pastor guy, and he was talking, and somebody asked him a question about another big-name pastor who had uh, made a mistake, sinned, and a bad mistake, and left the ministry. And uh, this pastor who was being interviewed, he said, well, I told that guy years and years ago, you're being too lax with your faith. You need to stand strong. And that guy said to me, he said, in the elevator, he said back to me, oh, man, you don't need to, you know, do that all the time. <laughs> you know, you need to relax a little bit. And that guy fell and stumbled because his faith wasn't held up strong. So you've got to hold it up in all circumstances, he says. Then verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, the helmet offers the ultimate protection. I mean, if you get struck in the head, you're going to have a lot of trouble. You lose your head, you got a whole new level of trouble. But if you've got the helmet of salvation, and the helmet of salvation is never taken off, because if you have salvation, it's always there. And the helmet protects you, always. He says, and so you got the helmet of salvation, and then the sword of the Spirit, he says, which is the word of God. And it's said often, the sword is the only offensive weapon. You have the sword of the Spirit, the word of God is our only offensive weapon against the enemy. Using scripture, knowing scripture, memorizing scripture, quoting scripture back to him, the enemy, stops the attack. Jesus demonstrated this phenomenally in Matthew chapter 4 when he was attacked by the enemy. And every time the enemy came at him with a new temptation, with a new statement, Jesus went back with scripture. There was even a time when the enemy came with scripture taken out of context, but Jesus knew scripture enough to say, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, and brought more scripture back. Jesus used scripture as a weapon to fight against the enemy. And so that's why it's used here. Paul says the sword of the spirit is the word of God, is our offensive weapon, is how we fight against the enemy, is how we stop him from coming. We use scripture, but in order to be able to use it, we've got to be familiar with it. And honestly, if you, know, if you were to go into battle, they're not going to hand you a weapon and not train you. Right, Jared? They hand you a weapon, they're going to train you relentlessly so that it's instinctive. Muscle memory. You just, you know how to act and you know what to do because it's been drilled into you because you practice so much. And so you get handed this, 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 this weapon, this sword of the spirit. But if we're handed it and we never practice, when the battle comes, even if we're wearing all the other armor of God, if we're just constantly beaten down by the attacks of the enemy and we never fight back, it's going to beat us into a pulp. And we'll just be, you know, just curled up on the ground because we never are able to fight back because we're not familiar. We haven't practiced. We don't know it. We've got it, but we don't know how to use it because we're not familiar with it. We've got to familiarize ourselves with the word of God, with the sword of the spirit in order to fight back against the enemy. To fight back when he comes, when he spiritually persecutes, when he spiritually harasses us, as he constantly does. Never ending. And this, the, the, the word is powerful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper 
than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart better than ourselves even. Isaiah 55, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and bring, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, God's word, that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word will accomplish his purpose. The question is whether or not we will be involved in that purpose, in its usage, in its application. I mean, it's not just given to us to be nice and quaint and sound good at funerals and, you know, and look good on our coffee table. It's given to us for a purpose, with power. Nothing can change your life like the word of God. Nothing. You may try self-help. You may try this diet or that diet. You may try this thing and that other thing and uh, something you read on Facebook that's supposed to make you feel better and relieve anxiety and bring peace. But the only thing that's really going to bring peace is Jesus. And the way we know Jesus is through Scripture. You need it. But then, you know, usually when you hear the armor of God talked about, it usually ends right there in verse 17 with the sword of the Spirit. But Tony, put that verse back up there again, verse 17. I want you to notice something. Is that a period at the end of the sentence? It's a comma. So he's not done talking. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now I want you to notice something about this verse. That word praying in the original language, it's, it, it's in a certain, the way it's written, is that word praying modifies all of the armor, all of it. The, the, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the sword, the shield, the helmet. The idea is that as we're using each part of the armor of God, we're supposed to be praying all throughout. Praying, he says, at all times, in the spirit, in the spirit, allowing the spirit to guide us. That means not just listing off a list of rote requests. Not that you shouldn't, you should always give your request to the Lord. You should. Scripture tells us that. But it shouldn't become so automatic that we're not really thinking about what we're praying. He says, pray at all times in the spirit, in the spirit, allowing the spirit to guide us. Praying at all times. And he says, with all prayer and supplication. Now, these are two different kinds of prayers, but the idea is that every kind of prayer at your disposal, use it. Use it. At all times, anytime, all the time, at every opportunity, pray. Pray when you can. Pray when you, you know, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes and he's talking to the king and it says he's, he's praying as he's talking to the king. So even as you're having conversations with people, you can still be praying while you're having a conversation. Maybe you need to pray, Lord, please hold my tongue. <laughs> more of us need to pray that than we, than we practice. Maybe some of us need to pray, Lord, hold my thumbs as I type on Facebook. Many of you need to practice that, I'll tell you right now. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So look at what God has done for us here. 
he talked about, Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5, the harassment that comes, whether physical or spiritual harassment that comes, and, and with great difficulty and with great struggle, the enemy comes and he tries to bombard us with all kinds of pain and distraction. And then if, in, here in Ephesians chapter 6, the Lord has given us these tools to fight against the enemy, to resist him. What does scripture say? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Flee from you. Full-on retreat from you. So what has happened here in, in giving us these words, the Lord has hand-delivered the tools for victory. He's given us the tools for victory in the armor of God. He's given us how to win. But what we have to do then is we have to pick them up. We have to practice with them. And we have to put them to use. We've got to, each one of those verses in Ephesians chapter 6, take it up, pick it up. We've got to pick up the elements, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the uh, sword of the spirit. We've got to pick them up. We've got to practice with them. And we've got to use them. And only then will we, we be fulfilling our purpose in what God has for us here. He doesn't, God doesn't want us to succumb to sin. God doesn't want us to slip up and struggle. God doesn't want us to be defeated by the persecution and harassment of the enemy. God wants us to thrive, have the abundant life he promised us to have, however he intended it, not necessarily how we picture it, but what he intends for us. And so we've got to take his tools for victory. We've got to take the armor of God and, and go out into this world with great purpose and intention and use what he's given us to use. So have you picked up the tools of victory that he's placed in your life? Have you practiced with them? Have you put them to use? Or going even further back to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted because they believe. Blessed are those who are harassed because they believe. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. Today, do you have a reward in heaven? Do you have cause to rejoice and be glad? Because that's where it starts. You have to believe in Jesus, and then the rejoicing comes. You have to believe in Jesus, and then this blessing he speaks of in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. It comes. But do you believe in Jesus today? Jesus, who is God's son. Jesus, who died so all your sins would be forgiven. Then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. Do you believe in that? Because that's salvation. That is guaranteed heaven. And once you believe in Jesus, no one can undo that. You can't take away your salvation. You'd have to be stronger than Jesus. Your actions would have to be more powerful than his actions to undo what he did for you. And so once you're saved, you're saved forever. You can't stop it. You can't take away what God put on you. Do you believe in Jesus today? Will you believe in Jesus today if you don't? Whether you're in the room or you're watching online, believe in Jesus today. Here in just a sec, I'm going to pray. The music team's going to come. We're going to sing a song. And we're going to have what we call the invitation, where what that is, is we're inviting you to make a decision for Jesus. Inviting you. Whether you need to come and believe in Jesus, you need to 
uh, uh, follow him in, in baptism? The baptistry's on. I turned the heater off because I turned it on the other day and forgot that if you turn on the baptistry and you turn on the baptistry heater, that if you don't leave the doors open, then this whole room becomes a humidifier, as I'm sure some of you can experience right now. You ever wondered what it's like to live inside a humidifier? Well, now you know. And so if you're warm right now, it's totally my fault because I forgot to leave the doors open. <laughs> um, so you can be baptized. It's on. You can feel it. <laughs> well, you can be baptized today, showing the world you belong to Jesus. You want to join the church, put your life here and what God's doing here, you can do that. Maybe you just need to come and pray and you say, you know what, Jesus, I, I see you've given me these tools I need to pick them up. I need to practice with them. I, I, I need to put them to use. Give me the strength to do it. Maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you need to pray for a family member or a friend and say, you know what? This person's really been burdened. I'm really burdened for them. They, they have been put on my heart and my mind, and I just can't let it go. And you just begin to cry out to God for that person up here. Maybe they need to know Jesus. Maybe they're going through a difficult time of harassment, and they're not able to get out from under it. Maybe it's a person that you have looked down on, a person that you have uh, uh, seen their life decisions, and, and you haven't thought the best of them. And maybe it's time to shift that thinking and think, they just need Jesus, just like I do. They're just like me. We both need Jesus. You need to come, and you need to Ask for forgiveness of the Lord and say, help me, God. Help me change the way I see. Help me change the way I think. Help me walk in the path you set before me with, with your purpose. What's the decision you need to make today? Whether come and pray, come and believe in Jesus, come and be baptized, come join the church. What's the decision you need to make for the Lord today? Because we've all got decisions we need to make for the Lord today. You do, I do, and I'm the preacher. We all have to decide today, will I follow Jesus in this moment? The constant decision we have to make. Will you today follow Jesus?